Today we are going to uh, celebrate the sacrament of baptism. And uh, my youngest son, Quinn, is going to stand with you all. And we will be making sacramental vows before our community that will forever shape and hold us to what we proclaim and commit to in the sacrament. Uh, for us, in our tradition, baptism is an expression of what we call prevenient grace. It's the idea that the grace of God is with you in your very first breath. That just by being alive, just by being human, just by having a heartbeat, you already have this gift and you can't lose this gift. You also can't earn this gift. God's with you. And that is good news. And now Quinn, with him we are going to acknowledge that this gift has been present with him since his first breath. And we are going to commit to certain vows where we proclaim we will continue him in that gift and allow it to form and mold and shape his life and our life to come. Baptism is a symbol of the work God has already done in our lives, that we have been claimed that God is with us. And baptism is a moment where we wake up to that presence and that love and that grace. It's a way of claiming that we have been marked by the divine and that we are all on this journey of restoring the image of God in our lives and in the world, that we're pursuing this health that we're invited into, that we're hoping that we will become the kind of people we are created to become so we can build a better world. And in the sacrament, we're saying yes to that ongoing journey and this ongoing promise and we are hoping to firmly embed the journey of the baptized in the journey of our community. In the mystic tradition, there is an image that life is like being immersed in an ocean, and the ocean is God. And you can't see the ends of that ocean. And yet that is the very waters, the very ocean that holds your life. And there's a tradition that when you're baptized, it's like you receive that water, you feel, you sense that water in your lungs, and you hear the divine voice say, I made you, I'm with you, and I love you. And when you experience that, the hope is that you are pulled even further to the image of God that has been humming with reverence in your life the whole time. And so that is what we're going to do today. And it's an exciting moment for me because it is of my family. And I've had the honor of baptizing my first two children. And um, I'm, I'm proud to be able to say I'm able to baptize yet another one of my kin. And so, uh, is he? He's a little predisposed, huh? Okay. Uh, would uh, my family like to come up with me? Landon, Torin, are you in here? Yeah, uh, this past year has been um, <laughs> this past year has been a year of a lot of heaviness for our, our family. Um, a ton of transitions, a ton of internal work um, with our family. Um, I think it was like three and a half years ago where Vanessa and I stood up before you all and were like, "Hey, things aren't good. Uh, we're not doing okay." And we have done, we have come a long way, I believe. And, and, I, and I think this child is a representation of the life that we have tried to continue to build. 
Um, and even, even in this year with uh, the work that has, and the heaviness that has come with this project um, and the, this pregnancy and birth was probably the most difficult. Um, the standard was set pretty low in difficulty with Landon. Um, but Quinn made up for it. Um, and so this is a meaningful moment, not just for the sacramental nature of this event, but also uh, because this is, this is a, almost a way of claiming for our family, this is who we are now. And this is, this is a good moment for us. Um, Landon's experiencing being an older brother for the second time. What's your favorite part about being Quinn's older brother? That I get to um, play with him and hold him. Yeah, you, and which you do a pretty good job holding him uh, and taking care of him. It, he's actually been quite helpful in the rearing of a child. Um, Torin, what's your favorite part of being Quinn's brother? Running. Running? <laughs> and feeding him. Yeah, you do feed him sometimes. That's good. With a bottle, if you were curious there. We're not that weird. Um, that's your favorite part? What's running, running with him? What do you mean? That he didn't run away. Quinn runs away? You're going to teach him how to run away? Like when we play Git and stuff? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's going to be your little partner in crime, I believe. Um, Landon, what are, you, what are you most excited about teaching Quinn as he grows up? How, how are you going to help him become the person he needs to be? To teach him how to be crazy. Teach him how to be crazy. Anything else? You're going to teach him? And teach him how to crawl. You're going to teach him how to crawl? Okay, good, good. Torin, what are you going... What are you going to teach Quinn how to do? To take, to eat all of his food. To eat all of his food. Well, you'll have to learn that craft yourself. <laughs> before, you, before you do that. Um, Vanessa, did you want to express any of your sentiments about bearing a third child and how it's been for you? What part? <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean? Because like this hasn't been easy. Postpartum has been oh. wow. difficult. No. Um, yeah, I think as easy as Landon's pregnancy was, Quinn definitely made up for it. Um, I feel like he, I'm talking about you. Um, I feel like he like depleted my body in always emotionally and physically, especially when I was pregnant. Um, and then my postpartum journey has been the most difficult of the three. Um, and if you had a baby, you know what that feels like. Um, a lot of anxiety and um, a lot of sadness, unexplained sadness and um, just the desire to like isolate myself has been difficult. Um, but as I'm, my hormones are balancing out, I feel a little bit better. Um, but I still have hard days, and luckily Tyler has been home with me a lot, and that's been really helpful. Um, but yeah, he's really cute, and <laughs> that certainly helps things. <laughs> Uh, one of the things you're referencing is we found out Vanessa's anemic during this pregnancy, and so there was multiple 
trips to the hospital to do iron infusions. And, um, you know, that was scary in some ways, but also just incredibly difficult. Um, and, and my, I, I have this, so I'm, I'm good. Um, my, my hope is that our family will continue to be a healthy embodiment to all of you and that I lead not just from a professional um, a professional characteristic, but also that our family helps lead the farmhouse in our own way. Um, and I thank you all for holding us so well. Since the day we moved uh, to this town, I feel like we have been held really well by this community. And I don't know that we'd be where we are today um, if it wasn't for so many of you. So hopefully you feel celebrated um, in this moment as well. So uh, Amy, if you would please come forward and um, offer the context of what we're committing to um, as a family and as we guide Quinn's life um, with this Quinnia prayer. All right. And that's what you'll need yep. there. Here, you guys sit on my lap. Come here. You got to listen to this. So this okay? is our, our, I would call it kind of our creed here at the farmhouse. It stands for the things that we want to stand yep. for here as we move forward to try to become a beacon of a rural community for the world. So I'm going to read this for us. We proclaim that life is a gift, that the divine breath of grace and love has been with us since our first breath. And we proclaim that everyone, including us, can be at the table, for we are sharers of this same gift. To participate in the great retelling of the world, we embrace the journey of selflessness. Our path is one of descent, to give up our rights for the sake of our neighbors. We do not seek to be served, but to serve. We do not live and make decisions based on what we want, but it's what is best for our interdependent well-being with one another. We do not use others as objects for our gain, but we yearn to be in such relationship that nothing can stay the same. We gladly pursue the good of one another. We humbly recognize that we can keep learning, that we can keep pursuing change, and that we can become the only version of ourselves that we need to be. Our movement, our telos, is toward the center of divine fullness. Therefore, we promise to do no harm, to resist evil and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves among us, and to renounce all forms of brokenness, all measures of unhealth, and all ways that do not reflect the divine. We promise to do all the good we can, to bring peace and wholeness, to make God's dream for the world real in this place. We promise to follow the way of Messiah, to learn of his nature and enact that reality more and more in everything we do. We believe we are unfolding as human beings and building a better world, that our growth will bring forth transformation, that our creativity will bring forth authenticity, and that our roots will make the crucified love of Messiah expose what is possible. And we believe this kind of community begins by being real with each other, in our diversity pursuing unity, in our difference, pursuing integration, and in our wounds, pursuing healing. We yearn to let our scars tell our story. We embrace darkness so that we can move through it. And we acknowledge that we are better when we work together, for it is the triune dance of self-transcendent love. We desire to be present together. We desire to participate in sacred belonging as neighbors. And we desire to share our lives and gifts. As Ed and I has been generous to us, we hope to share that irrational generosity with the world around us. We profess that all creatures, even all of creation, are sacred, and we seek to uphold their life, 
For the smallest denomination of health is the health of all things together. We do not seek to get our way, but to give ourselves for the flourishing of all. And we believe this happens when we are broken and poured for the healing of the world. We believe in a healthy rural place with a reimagined church that will put a dent in the changing of the world. We therefore exist to foster this health in our place through everything that we do. That our lives, our relationships, our families, our community, our social systems, our economy, our culture, and our ecosystem will all be what it is created to be. That we will tell a different story in this humanity project, and that all things will continue in the holy adventure of being put back together again. May we love ourselves, our neighbors, and the God of the universe with every cell in our being. And may the world never be the same because we belong together in community in koinonia such as this. So Tyler and Vanessa and Landon and Torin. Come here, Tor. You're in this too, little guy. You there you go. The whole family's got to answer this question. Do you agree to uphold this promise of belonging? <laughs> These words of koinonia will continue to define you more and more every day, particularly to do no harm, to do all the good you can, and to continue to follow the way of Messiah within this place, this community that you call home. We do. Um, the water today, there's a lot of it, and I don't actually know if it's all going to fit in the bowl. Um, but all of this water has been brought from um, our friends and family, particularly our, our micro community here. And the hope is that, don't drink it, don't, well, hold on, hold on, just wait, just wait. That's a, yeah. Um, the hope is that this water will represent that all of the places these, uh, this water comes from will be home to this child as well. And that uh, we, we find it very important in a culture where we don't know people well, that there are going to be people in Quinn's life who have known him from the day he was born and can look at him when he's 10, when he's 20, as he gets older and say, I've watched you this whole time. I know you. And have those kinds of relationships. And um, that's our hope for all of our family. Um, and that's the kind of embodiment we want to have with the folks that are part of our community. And so I'm going to uh, pray the sacramental prayer over this water as we, as we pour it. Um, so please join me. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. Pull out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness 
throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Amen. I like that one. Yeah, that's going to be cold, Quinn. Sorry. We present as our family and before our gathered community the child named Quinn Gabriel. And Quinn, as this water pours over every cell of your body, may you be reminded that you are a new creation, bringing forth a new creation, that you are continually dying and rising in grace and beauty. And as you are surrounded by this water, may you hear the voice of the divine say, I made you, I am with you, and I love you. You guys ready? Quinn Gabriel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, when I got the text from Tyler, I don't know, 10, 11 months ago? Something like that, almost a year ago now, uh, that he and Vanessa were pregnant, I went into, I don't know, about a three-hour, four-hour just funk of writing and uh, I don't know why it was I think it was maybe just Tyler and I have been very close over the last year and <laughs> I don't know it just felt like a much closer impact to me that uh, that a friend of mine was about to have that two friends of mine were about to have a child so I wrote this song called Little Heart quickly after finding out about it and uh, sent it to Tyler to get another uh, another set of bad compliments about songs that I send when I send him songs. I think he liked it though. So this is called Little Heart. I can think of sparkling magic I can think of planets and machines The jungle's full of Eldorado but Nothing like the loving you and me oh, What if we made a little boy oh, What if we build a little heart oh, What if the world meant everything oh, What if he sees us from the start oh,
can think of sparkling magic I can think of planets and machines The jungle's full of Eldorado wind Nothing like the loving you and me What if we made a little boy? What if we build a little heart? Oh, what if the world and everything? And what if he sees us from the start? Oh, what if his hands are beautiful? What if is he everything that we are not? If we build a little heart <laughs> Did you guys clap yet? Thank you, man. Now it's your turn. The part that involves all of you as a representative of our gathered community. I'm going to um, ask you all to take a vow now, which is part of the Methodist tradition, that the baptism of a human being does not just implicate this human being, but all of us who intend to walk with this human being. When you're brought into the church, when you're named and marked as a member of the family, of the faithful, it's a corporate act, and it involves all of us. And uh, to be fair, the Methodist vows of baptism that are taken are to be held as highly as the vows of marriage. And so do not take this lightly. And if you're not sure, don't agree to do it, because if you say that you do, it's something you need to hold yourself to, and it's something that we can expect as this boy grows. So, can you go to the first question? Do all of you, as the body of Christ, commit to nurturing Quinn? We do. Will you surround him as a community of love that may, he may grow in trust of God and be found faithful in his service to others? Will you nurture one another in practicing this faith and participating in this koinonia, including Quinn, now before you in your care? Amen. We are now able to look at Quinn and proclaim that your life, your pain, your struggles, your dreams, your blessing are ours. Your story is our story. For he, by being adopted into God's love, is adopted into our community. Today our community is ordered in a sacred way that as we journey with one another, we will also be journeying with Quinn. Quinn.
God has created you to join him in the world. Your baptism marks and acknowledges that unfolding journey. And we will all be here to move with you as your journey continues. Amen. I have something I want to read to you this morning. It's actually an essay that comes from Good Friday, um, but I think it's relevant. I think it's relevant both to what's going on in the world right now and also to the teachings from Acts that we're about to talk about. Because the teaching from Acts finds Peter in an upper room, and it's only been about six weeks since Jesus died and Peter denied him. Peter's life, along with the other disciples that he was with in this story, has not turned out the way he expected. Last week, Tyler was talking to us about how they all just stood there after, Peter, after Jesus ascended, staring into the sky, and now they're hiding in a room. Sometimes we have to decide what to do. It can be tough to take that first step. It might be easiest just to turn away. What decision are we going to make? 2,000 years ago, a fateful rooster crowed. Bold and innocent, untroubled by that man kneeling on the ground, clawing dust and ashes into the hair, the rooster said, Hey, look, morning's here. The earth turns, the sun comes up. It doesn't matter who's being crucified that day. Human suffering has been and will be, and there's no one there to care but us. When Peter said, I don't know that man, three times the charm, so to speak, it wasn't just his friend that he was denying. Jesus had taught him, look, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you helped me. I was in prison and you visited me. Whatever you do to me, you do to all humans. But Peter thought it was all about a revolution. He had his sword with him that night, and they were going to go into Jerusalem any minute now and overthrow the Caesar, and Jesus was going to be king. There would be no more oppression. There would be no more lives ruined at the whim of some crazy ruler. Instead, people would be healed of their diseases, and everyone would have enough fish and enough bread. Jesus was going to fix all that right then. Don't we wish? Any minute now, except that the night was dark, and inside Jesus was being beaten and mocked, and all the other guys had left. Peter has just had the rug pulled out from under him. There was no revolution. He's just one man with a sword. What was he going to do? So he said, I don't know. I didn't see anything. I'm not responsible for that man, for that human. Whether you believe this story is true, and there are a lot of ways for a story to be true, what is true is that we all turn our heads sometimes. We watch the news and we feel overwhelmed by the suffering of the world. And we think we're only one person. So we leave it up to God to fix it. We offer our thoughts and prayers. And the rooster crows. So it was October 3rd, 1993. And I'll never forget that day. I was outside in my yard. It was a beautiful day. It was a Monday and I was working to get my house ready for winter. And I saw that the mail had come. So I went to the mailbox and I found our phone bill there. Now, you have to understand, those of you who have always had cell phones, that back in the day when we had landlines in 1993, 
you would get your bill in the mail, and it was a paper bill, and it would have uh, names and numbers like your call history of the people you had called and any charges that you had incurred. And back then, if you called out of your uh, area code, it was long distance, and there was a charge for that, and that charge would appear on your phone bill. Now, my husband at the time was a truck driver, and he was usually home most nights, but sometimes he would go away overnight. And uh, when he did, he would get to his hotel room, and he would call me from that hotel room, and then he would charge that call to our number so that that charge would appear on our phone bill. Usually, I never bothered to open the bills, because back then, I was a very different kind of woman than I am today, and I let my husband take care of all of that. He took care of the bills, and I never even thought about it. But I'd been having a growing bad feeling about my marriage that summer. And I'd been having a growing suspicion about a friend of ours who had moved to Toledo. And so I opened that phone bill. And sure enough, he'd been calling her. He would call, he would get to his hotel room and he would call me. And then he would call her. And the thing that hurt the most, he talked to her longer than he would talk to me. So I guess you can see where that story is going. So if you could put our text up on the screen here, we can read our text. And this is from Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through 26, mostly. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position as overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to us for his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you knew everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the twelve. So I have to tell you that when... Uh, Tyler and I were talking about the series that we were going to do on Acts, and he was assigning me the different scriptures that I was going to be preaching on. And I went home and I read this one, and I thought to myself, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> because it just seems so plain. It's like Peter stands up, he explains about Judas, he says, we need to replace him, we need to become 12 again. So they cast lots, they choose Matthias, you know, end of the story. But actually there's a lot going on in these few simple verses. Actually, it's a lot like the name on a phone bill, because that was just a name and a number. But it represented the end of my marriage, and it represented something different. You see, I thought I knew where my life was going. I thought I knew what my story was going to be. I thought I knew what every day was going to look like, and I had a pretty good idea about how that story was going to end. And then it took an unexpected turn. Because I don't think life looks like this. Bob, if you could go to that slide, there we go, of a straight road. I think it looks more like this next, there you go, this next one. This is a labyrinth. It's not a maze. 
Walking on a labyrinth is actually like a spiritual practice because it's kind of a microcosm of the way life looks. And you can see that it's a knotted path. You go along those circuits and you go back and forth. And as you're walking along, you'll see one perspective in one direction. And then suddenly you've switched around and you see what came before you or behind you. And sometimes the turns are sharp and short. And then you start to get to the outer edge and it gets longer and longer and sometimes it begins to feel like you're never going to get to the end. You're never going to get to your goal. I think that life does that. We think sometimes that if we're good people and we follow the rules and we do everything that we should do, we end up where we should be. But so often reality doesn't look like that. Even when it turns out well, even when we, we reach the goal, the child is born healthier, we get that loan that we needed to buy the house that we wanted, even then, often reality doesn't really look like we expected to. It always seems to be more complicated than we think it's going to be. And sometimes, just like in my story, the whole thing gets so disrupted by a loss or a change that the destination isn't even the same anymore. So here's how that story worked out then. I confronted my husband that night, and he admitted that he'd been unfaithful. And at that point, I had to make a decision. I sat down in my living room, and I thought, either I die here, or I can become something more. And don't think I just made that decision and walked away. It took me three years before I realized that my marriage was never going to look the same again. And finally, in 1996, my husband moved out, and I filed for divorce. Peter and the others in this story have also experienced a life-shaking loss. It's only been a few weeks since Jesus was killed. They miss their friend and their teacher. They're still grieving, and they don't know what to do. And even though that resurrection had happened, even though it seemed like everything was going to work out again, there's been no revolution. It doesn't look anything like they expected it to do. And yet, in those few simple verses, we can see that the early congregation is realizing that that old way is gone. They're going to have to do something different. Even their friend Judas, who they thought was with them, made some choices about the way he thought the story should go, and now he was dead as well. What are they going to do? Should they just try to go ahead with 11, pretend like it never happened? Should they hide? Should they just let it all die and forget it, go home? flee to other cities. Certainly the authorities were still after them. Or can they move forward? Can they make this thing happen? Can they carry that message that Jesus had given them to spread all through the world? They needed to make a choice, and it wasn't going to be easy, and it wasn't going to happen overnight. For myself, even though my divorce was probably the most painful thing that had ever happened to me, I became a different person. I became the person now that I am today. It transformed me. And I would not go back. No matter what, I would not change that transformation for anything. And it's the same with 120 up in this room. If they had just stayed there, the resurrection would never have been able to become manifest. The Holy Spirit would never have been able to come upon them. And it's possible that we would not even be sitting here 2,000 years later because that Jesus movement may never have been able to take forth. And so they start again. They take that first step of transformation. And it looks a little weird. <laughs> They're just casting lots, trying to decide what to do. 
But remember that these are very, very young men, probably in their teens, maybe in their 20s. It's a good thing they had house mothers. <laughs> remember that Mary, Jesus' mother, was also there. It mentions her in the text, and she would have been at least in her 40s. And her companions, the other women as well, would have probably been. And I'm purely speculating here, but something tells me that Mary might have turned to Peter and said, I did not just go through all of that to let this die. Peter, you stand up and do what Jesus told you to do. And whether that's true or not, Peter does do that. He stands up, he takes on the mantle of leadership that Jesus has given him, and they choose a person to replace Judas. They bring their number back to 12 again. This is an important number. Because the number 12 stands for the completeness of the nation of Israel. It stands for the 12 tribes. And it also stands to remind them of who they were. It reminds them of their history. Because it was Abraham, their ancestor, who had been given the covenant that his descendants were going to breathe a vehicle to bring back that wholeness and that shalom that had been the divine dream for the world. And that's a big dream. In fact, that's an overwhelming dream for these small humans. So all they can do is take that first step forward. And that's what they do. They take that just that one step. It takes patience to do that. It took patience for me to work through my grief and change my life. And the story of these people in Acts is the same. And the story of our community is the same. And the story in the world is the same. Because we'll see this group unfold as the book of Acts goes forward. And we can learn then from the story called Acts. We, we'll watch them stumble. We'll watch them regress. We watch them have to make decisions. We watch them fight amongst themselves. And we also watch them do amazing things. They heal. They feed people. They perform miracles. They bring forth that message that they had been given to carry. And that's the way it is with every story that's a work in progress. It's the same story that you and I have. We all feel scared sometimes. We all regress. We all make mistakes. We all do things that we look back later and go, what were we thinking? And yet, sometimes we surprise ourselves with our own goodness. Sometimes we surprise ourselves with our own bravery, and we surprise ourselves with our own talents. And sometimes we bring healing forth to the world. We bring it to ourselves, and we bring it to other people, and it's almost like a miracle. It's just like the labyrinth, though. It's not so much the end that matters, it's the walking. Because life isn't static. The divine is always moving forward through us. It's always changing us so that we can't be clinging to what is. We have to look at what is, love that. We have to let that go. Love what comes and then let that go in return. So I hope that you're able to find yourself in these stories as we go forward with the book of Acts because these are stories about real people just like us, just like our community. They had losses, they had reversals, they had love, they had fun together. They did all these things, unexpected turns in their lives, the growing that life brings. They had a dream for their cause and for their community, but they had to adapt to circumstances that were beyond their control. They had to find ways to pick themselves up, reorder themselves, and move forward. And our lives are the same way. Our community is the same way. So I'm really excited to be part of this series on Acts. It's always been a favorite book of mine in the Bible. The Acts of the Apostles is the full name of the book, and it really is. It's a book of action and expansion, and it's the beginning of the very thing that we are doing here. 
So as we go far from here, I hope that we can manifest the same courage that they showed in bringing forth Messiah into the world. May we show the same courage to be the change that we need to be. And may we have the courage to make this place the ground of health and being that the world so desperately needs. Thank you.